adoring you, Lord, we bow in your presence and ask that your spirit would be our teacher to open up wonderful things, wondrous things out of your law. I pray, Lord, that we would gird up the loins of our minds, that we would seek to understand, that we would seek the truth, even cry out for her as for hidden treasure, and listen to the Spirit speak through your holy word. What an awesome privilege this is. Change our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Back in the year 2000, there was a movie uh, that was done with Jeff Daniels as the lead, playing George Washington and recounting the great, great crossing of the Delaware, that important event that happened in that amazing year of 1776. It was at a place where the Continental Army was just about totally crushed, and its only hope was to do something surprising. So George Washington decided in the winter to cross the icy Delaware, surprise the Hessians who were mercenaries serving for the British, and that's exactly what they did, and they defeated them, and the nation rallied, and the soldiers got excited, and you know how it finally ends out. But the movie has this wonderful title. It's simply called The Crossing. And I think there's a, another story, far greater than that one, that should equally receive such billing, The Crossing. Open up your Bibles to the book of Joshua, and The Crossing of the Jordan River is described in chapters 3 and 4. The theme of our book is to enter in. We've already seen in chapter 1 that Moses is gone and the new leader is Joshua and the command is for the people of God now to take hold of their inheritance, to possess their possessions. And Joshua even said in chapter 1, in three days we're going to go over. But before he did that, chapter 2, he sent the spies into the land. Not to see if they should go over, but to see how. They were working on strategy, a strategy learning uh, gaining military intelligence, planning their approach. And they came back with this report. The people's hearts are melting because of us. God has already given us the land. We just have to take it. And that is one of the constant spiritual lessons that you and I need to learn in this ancient book that is designed for us today. That God has given us so much that we nearly merely need to take by faith. God has given us possessions so rich and abundant, but it's our responsibility to move forward by faith. And so we come to uh, chapter 3, and in chapter 3, verse 1, early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from the Achaia Grove. That's what the word Shittim means the area or city that they were camping in, some seven miles east of the Jordan. And they went and camped right by the Jordan before they crossed and waited another three days. Now you have to understand that although Jericho is seven miles on the west side of the river, they've got spies, they've got people watching this camp of Israel now coming to the Jordan River, and they are indeed frightened beyond expression. It's very possible that uh, 
they hid in the walls because they thought the walls were impregnable. They could not be defeated. If inside the city of Jericho, little did they know what God was going to do to the walls of Jericho. But it was frightening to see the enemy and to see them camp. How many of them were, uh, were there? We don't know. Estimates for the, the entire troop or nation of Israel goes anywhere from a few hundred thousand to over a million to someone even says two million people. The scripture is going to tell us that there were 40,000 fighting men just from two and, uh, two and a half tribes, the tribes that were going to get their portion on the east side, but they had to cross the Jordan to fight the battles to win the land for the rest of the nation. And so here they are, camped on the river, waiting for God to do something amazing. And maybe one of the best ways to understand this crossing is by three simple pictures. The first one is actually in verse 3. It was after three days, the officers went through the camp, verse 3, giving orders to the people, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the Levites, the Levitical priests who are carrying it, you are to move out and you are to follow it. Could you underline those phrases, at least in your mind? When you see God go forward, follow him and move out. So the first picture is the ark. Most of you know what the ark is. It's even been uh, honored in Hollywood movies as they go forth trying to find the, the special holy box of God, often misunderstood. It, it was about four feet long and two and a half feet high and two and a half feet wide. On the top of it was a solid gold plate called the mercy seat. And there were two angels called cherubim on either side, statues of angels kneeling and bowing with their wings touching over the top of the ark. It was symbolic of the presence of God, but even more than that, God hovered over the mercy seat on the ark. Indeed, in the tabernacle there were two places, the holy place where priests ministered and the holy of holies where the ark was, where God was. So in some special way, the presence of God went with this box. It's not that the box can contain God. It was just, it was the symbol of his presence. And everything spoke about the holy presence of God. And so that's what it means. It's, it's kind of like the pillar of cloud and uh, the fire by night pillar by day as the people of God left Egypt. There's a lot of connections. The going out and coming in, as Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 6, is much like our coming out of the world and going into Christ and following Christ. They're coming out of bondage in Egypt and going into a land of rest, which I find an interesting term because they're going to be fighting in the land of rest. That's why the best imagery of Canaan is not heaven, but the Christian life here and now. We rest in Christ as we take ground for Christ. So you've got this idea of the ark. Remember this, though. Jesus is everywhere in the Old Testament. That's spoken to us in, in Luke 24. 
Jesus is the one who said to his disciples that the prophets and uh, Moses and the law and the Psalms, they all speak about me. And the ark speaks about Christ. By the way, inside of the ark, there was a, a two stone tablets, the writing of the Ten Commandments of Moses. Also in the ark was the manna, speaking of God's provision. And Jesus is the one who fulfills the law of Moses on our behalf. Jesus is the bread of life, far better than the manna. And Jesus is the mercy seat. He is the place that all of us must go to find mercy and grace in our time of need and forgiveness from God. Jesus is the ark. When he comes into this world, he takes the name Emmanuel, which means God's here. God's with us. So this is a rather simple lesson. The ark speaks of the presence of a holy God. And we need to follow him. It also emphasizes the guidance of God. When you see the ark, move out and follow it. That's pretty simple. By the way, I don't know about you, but I wish we still had a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day and an ark to follow. Because I get pretty confused about what to do. The Bible is clear, and that's where you start. But sometimes my decisions about timing <laughs> and exactly where to go, it's the where and the when, I would love to just be able to follow the cloud. But we walk by faith, not by sight. And our faith is in the revealed word of God. But here's guidance, and I love this. You follow it, verse 4, then you will know which way to go since you've never been this way before. Isn't that a great verse? I've never been where I'm going to be next week in many ways, but God has. He goes ahead of us. That's verse 6 and all the way down to verse 11. That the Ark of the Covenant will go ahead of you. And you move out when it moves. And you follow it and go where it goes. And the wonderful truth about the guidance of God is that he knows exactly where we need to go and when we need to go. And he goes ahead of us. He took our sin and our punishment on the cross ahead of us. So we would not have to endure it. He's gone to prepare a place for us He's gone ahead of us, and he goes ahead of us throughout all of our life. Isn't that a, a great thing about the guidance of God? And then there's something about the holiness of God. It says in verse 4, but keep a distance of about a thousand yards. That's uh, maybe a half mile or so, about the equivalent of a Sabbath day's journey that they used to speak about in the New Testament, especially. Don't get too close to the ark that's interesting keep your distance why there's a very practical reason let's say there are a million people if a million people crowd around the ark there's a whole lot of people that aren't going to see it but if they stay back a distance they can look ahead and see what is happening it's possible like many places that the shoreline comes down in descending way to a riverbed. And it's very possible that the people were able to see, almost like in an amphitheater, and watch 
as the ark moved forward. But there's a second more important reason, and it is simply this. God is holy. There's going to be an interesting story in the book of the Old Testament about a man named Uzzah who touched the ark when he wasn't supposed to. Remember that? The ark was a little unsteady. He was just trying to keep it from falling. But God said, don't touch it. And when you play fast and loose with the holiness of God, you lose. God's a holy God. He is with us. He is a friend through Christ that sticks closer than a brother. But don't get into a buddy-buddy relationship with the holy God of heaven. There's an intimate, real friendship, but he is God. As we sang a moment ago, and as we're going to see in this text, he's on his throne, and we are his subjects. But the lesson is simply this. When God moves, follow him. That's a simple lesson that is very hard to follow. Some of the easiest lessons in life are the most difficult to obey. Follow him. So to do that, they had to prepare themselves. Look at verse 5. So Joshua told the people, now I want you to consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. I love that verse. I love the amazing things. Now the consecration, that speaks of confessing your sin. That speaks of cleansing. If you would connect this to the Old Testament, when God showed up on Mount Sinai to consecrate themselves, they had to wash themselves and change their clothes. And you and I, on a regular, need to be, regular basis, need to consecrate ourselves to God. This is what I suggest, communion service, where we confess our sins, right? Judge yourself. And then confess your sins to the Lord. And rededicate yourself at the communion service so that you can follow the holy God wherever he sends you. Because God wants to do amazing things among his people. And his, his attitude has never changed. So, verse 8. Tell the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Now here's our second image. The first image is the ark that emphasizes recognizing the presence of God, his guidance, his holiness. And now the river, in one sense, speaks to us of our challenges and the faith required to meet them. So the image of the Jordan River. He said to the priest, go stand in the river. I couldn't help but think as I was reading over this, my dad used to say to me, it's not the exact same command, but he used to say, go soak your head. And <laughs> as I think about what that meant, I'm not, in fact, I'm not exactly sure what it meant, except you're way off, and uh, I don't think he was saying drown yourself, but go soak your head, he would say. Someone tell me what that means after all these years. But... To the priest, this must have sounded a little unusual, too. Go stand in the river. Now, what was so unique about this is that the river was at flood stage. We're told in a, in a few verses uh, later. What is that? Verse 14, 15. 
Normally, the Jordan River was at its largest point, about 100 yards across. Today, when you see the Jordan River, it trickles in some places because both Jordan and Israel are taking water from the Sea of Galilee, and the Jordan River flows out of that and is down to barely a trickle. But sometimes uh, the average normal was 100 yards across. In flood stage, in the spring, in April, some, in some places it was over a mile across. Does it seem sometimes when God gives you a challenge, he ups the ante? Does it ever seem like sometimes when God gives you a challenge, instead of giving you a little one, he gives you an unbelievable one? I suppose because the little ones, if we were to get through the little ones, we might say, I did a pretty good job. But the big ones are too big. The spies said, they're giants in the land. And God said, I know, but they're nothing to me. If they were little guys, you think you could fight them? And so it, this is almost like when Elijah was uh, facing the prophets of Baal. Remember that on Mount Carmel? And there was a sacrifice and the prophets of Baal were trying to call fire down. When it was Elijah's turn, what did he do to the sacrifice? Dumped a bunch of water on it. Why? You, you don't do that. Things don't burn when they're wet. It just makes the miracle all the greater. So let the rivers flood up. We're going to cross them. On dry ground, the river, the problems that you and I have to face. This is, in, in essence, this is believing the word of God. It tells us that faith, faith must follow, verse 8. Go do what I tell you to do, as difficult as it may seem. Follow me. Faith follows. Faith doesn't design. Faith doesn't argue. Faith doesn't get mad and quit. Faith surrenders and believes. So when they got to the edge of the Jordan water, they went to stand in the river. Look at verse 9. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come, listen to the words of the Lord your God. And this is how you will know that the living God is among you. And that this living God will drive out these seven nations that he mentions. The Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Parasites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Jebusites. Jebusites were in Jerusalem. And that's where the name Jerusalem, part of it, came from was a Jebusite occupation. These seven nations will be driven out. And you will know that God is the living God. But faith is based on the word of God. Faith is not a leap in the dark. Faith is falling on the God who cannot lie. Faith is believing what God has said and moving out in, in response to his clear command. And so Joshua said, come and listen to the words. This is God's plan, not mine. And then I would also say that faith is based not only in the word of God, but the word of God is based on the character of God. And notice the character of God mentioned here, he is the living God as opposed to what? Dead God. That's an easy question. The dead idols, all of the gods in the world do not exist. 
and the statues of them are dead and cannot move. Read Psalm 115. The people who worship them must pick them up and carry them. But you worship the living God and he picks you up and carries you. Dead idols are a burden to people. The living God is a blessing. He is the living God and look at verse 11. He is the Lord of all. See the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth. He'll go ahead of you into the Jordan. And it says it again in verse 13. He's the Lord of all the earth. Step foot in the Jordan. And when you do, it's waters downstream or upstream actually. The waters upstream will be cut off all the way down to where you are and all the way down to the Red or Dead Sea, the Salt Sea, as it's called in some places. And so they've got to go forward. And they've got to go forward by faith. And they've got to trust the sovereign living God of the universe. And even though the miracle is going to be amazing because the waters at flood stage, as soon as the priest who carried the ark, this is verse 15, reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing and piled up like a heap in a city called Adam, which is 19 miles north of where they're crossing. Which means that the Jordan River at flood stage was dry for about 20 miles. 19 Miles upstream and a mile or two down to the Dead Sea. And that's how two million people could cross over and still keep a distance. Because the ark, carried by the Levitical priests, was standing right in the middle of the river, riverbed on dry ground. Now there is a phrase that is mentioned several times here, and I want to highlight it to you. It seems like an innocent phrase, but it carries much meaning. As soon as their feet touched the Jordan River, then the waters were cut off. Does that mean anything to you? It, it, it means to me that sometimes God commands us to do something and he's planning a wonderful blessing, an amazing thing that he loves to do to those who are committed and consecrated to him. But you got to step in the water. you got to get your feet wet first. By faith, you've got to move. God, I'm willing to walk across this Jordan. Just divide the water first and then I'll go. God says, no, step in first. Do any of you have a phobia of water? That would make this a really hard thing to do. But they did it. And as soon as their water, their feet touched the water, there was an amazing miracle. Everything's dry. Faith takes the first step, and God always fulfills his promise. You simply have to get your feet wet first. So the priest, verse 17, end of the chapter, carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, stood firmly, stood in the middle of the Jordan on dry ground. All Israel passed by the whole nation, completely crossing. Mathematicians have tried to figure out how long it would take. I suppose it would be several hours, maybe longer, depending on how 
wide the group was and how quickly they walked. But then comes the third picture. Notice in Joshua chapter 4, when the whole nation had crossed, finished crossing, the Lord said to Joshua, verse 2, choose 12 men from among the people, one for each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones. So here's our third picture, stones. So you've got the ark and the river and the stones. These stones were, be take, were to be taken up from the middle of the river. Obviously, one person from every tribe, one stone. And when they got to the other side, they set them down in Gilgal. It would probably look like a very unimpressive heap of stones. And also, it appears that they were rather heavy stones or good-sized stones because they had to carry them on their shoulder. If you're carrying a heavy stone like this, you can't go very far. You put it on your shoulder and you can go a little further. They had to walk eight miles with these, these stones. That's pretty impressive. And, and they took the stones. Actually, they, they went across the other side. They came back, got the stones, apparently with divine permission to get closer to the ark pick the stones up, walk them back these eight miles, and set them down in Gilgal as a memorial. That's verse 7. As a sign, that's verse 6. The stones are to teach us. They were to be a reminder. You know what a memorial is, right? Of course, the Lord's Supper is called a memorial feast. If you go to Washington, D.C., you'll see the Washington Monument. That obelisk that stands so high in the air and reminds us of a great leader and of battles that were fought to make our, to give us a nation. Or maybe closer to our own times, walk about, about and around the Vietnam Memorial, that wall of stone. An obelisk of stone, a wall of stone with names of those who died fighting our country's battles. And they're there so that we will remember and not forget. That's the important part. They're there so that we can remember that God has done something amazing for us because our tendency is to forget what God has done. So you and I need to set some stones up in our life, whatever that means. Maybe you journal and on a regular basis go back and read what God has done for you. It is amazing. Count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what God has already done. And that gives courage. It's good to remember because it helps you in the present. It's good to remember because it causes you to praise God. It's good to remember because it causes you to go forward, to remember what God has done, the mighty acts of God. By the way, by the way all the redemptive acts of God, the main redemptive acts of God are historical. They're events that actually took place just like this crossing of the Jordan. But it's not just for us, it's also for our children. Verse 6, in the future, this is chapter 4, verse 6, in the future when your children ask, what do these stones mean? 
then you tell them the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. The stones are to be a memorial to us forever and ever. I imagine they took day trips out to the stones. Just you and, like you and I will go to historic places and maybe remember amazing battles. I'm kind of stuck in my own study in the Revolutionary War. So the first time I went to Boston, I rewalked that trail. They call it the Freedom Trail that goes out to Concord where the British were marching to that city. And Paul Revere rode and warned the British are coming and the battle that ensued. And to walk that road is a moving thing. And to remember what God has done and put your in the, yourself in the place these stones mean they mean that God can do whatever he wants to do and God is for you Emmanuel God with us means that God is for you and by the way God does for us what those men did with the stones they picked them up they carried them over and they set them down God picks us up he carries us through and sets our feet down on dry ground in the land of our inheritance for the glory of God. And look at verse 9. It says that Joshua set up 12 stones. And here there's a, a bit of a challenge with the Hebrew language, so I'll yield to the scholars because I can't even read Hebrew. But the scholars say that this actually means that there's a second set of stones in the middle of the riverbed, set up by Joshua himself. So one set in the middle of the river and another set on dry ground. I suppose there is some great significance in that because crossing the Jordan is like leaving your old life and getting into the land of Canaan is starting a new life. It's not conversion, it's consecration, it's sanctification, but it's a move forward of genuine commitment. And maybe when they took those day trips to the stones and the kid says, what do these mean? The parents would say, it means that God, God's promise 500 years ago has been fulfilled and he never fails on a promise, remember that. And God brought us through by an amazing miracle because we believed him by faith. And there's a set of stones you can't even see in the water here. And that reminds us that we left our old life behind. Because it tells us at, in verse 9 that these stones are still there to this day. Not 2019, of course, but the day when it was written. They could still take trips back and see the amazing things that God had done. So the Lord exalted Joshua, verse 14, just like he said he would, in the sight of all Israel, much like he did with Moses. When the priests were commanded to come out of the Jordan, verse 17, verse 18 says, No sooner had their feet touched the shore of the land of Canaan that the water came rushing back. You could hear a sound upstream of rushing water that had been heaped up, piled up, like a dam without the bricks, without the stone. And now it's coming rushing through. And they're praising God for what he has accomplished. Verse 19, it was on the 10th day of the first month. We'll say a little bit more about this, but this takes you right back to, to Egypt. The 10th day of the first month is when they 
when they selected the Passover lamb and four days later sacrificed him. And that's exactly what they're going to do. They're going to have the Passover uh, worship service. Again, what do these stones mean? Uh, What do these stones mean? And they're to tell their kids, the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you and we crossed over on dry ground. It's just the same thing that God did to the Red Sea, verse 23, and we crossed over. And he did this, don't miss the purpose statement. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. And so that you might fear the Lord your God. We have a wonderful depiction of the Lord here. He's the living God. And he is the God of all the earth, the sovereign God. And he is God omnipotent, a powerful God. And the stones say, don't forget this. You know, we don't have stones, but we have holidays to remember the great acts of God. Christmas tells us about the incarnation. That was a miracle. Easter, about the amazing resurrection. Fifty days later, Pentecost, about the Holy Spirit coming and the church being born. These are times to celebrate and remember what God Almighty has done for us. And not just for us to remember, but to pass it on to the next generation. So the ark, we recognize the presence of God. The river, we're believing the word of God. And the stones, we're we're remembering the works, the mighty acts of God. And it's all by faith. The book of Joshua tells us this, God has more for you than you're experiencing right now. Do you believe that? Well, if you don't believe that, we can't do anything else. But if you do believe that, and you're on the shore, get your feet wet and follow God. My faith has found a resting place, not in device, nor creed. I trust the ever living one his wounds for me will plead i need no other argument i need no other plea it is enough that jesus died and that he died for me let's pray father thank you for leading your people forward in such a clear and definite way that miracles are commonplace in your life In our lives, there are daily miracles too. Maybe not quite on the scope of the the Jordan parting or the Red Sea, but miracles nonetheless. And there's more that you want for your people to experience in the land of Canaan as they fight their battles. And those possessions are won by faith. For faith is the victory. Lead us forward. In Jesus' name, amen.